Father, we thank you for how good you are. Father, we thank you that, 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 that in your very nature, Lord, you are our good and you are righteous. Lord, you are our holy. Lord, you are our abounding in loving kindness, abundant and steadfast love, Lord. And so we thank you, Lord, that this is part of your very nature, part of your very character. You, the Lord, do not change in those ways. That the, the same, you are the same God who created the world good, Lord. You're the same God who, who worked in your goodness, Lord, to bring about our, this, this plan of salvation, redemption that we see in your scriptures, that, that we experienced Lord, through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, in that goodness that you saw, that you took us who were not a people and you brought us in to be part of the people of of you, your people, the people of God. Father, thank you that you've gifted your people, you've gifted your church, Lord, with those to equip us, Lord, for the work of the service, the ministry that you'd call us to do. So we thank you for all these things. We pray that you help us to understand your ways, to appreciate your ways and how you would work through your church, Lord, for your glory and for our good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're talking about the church. Church is a people, not a place. It's the right confessors with the right confession. And we talked about it's not just any people. It's a regenerate people that are assembled together, that are committed to one another, that, that, we, that we call that commitment membership. And what do these, these committed people do? They minister. They're priest kings. That they're given this authority to, to minister of the who and the what of the gospel as they minister to one another, as they minister, as they share the gospel to, to, a, to a needy world. And we said, but wait a minute, if, if, good morning, if every believer has authority, then, then how do we reconcile that with these biblical offices of authority? Well, and that's what we've been reconciling as we said, how do we understand that these, these biblical offices of authority? And we saw that in, in Scripture, there are two offices, two offices. There's um, elder, oops, can't, I can't write this morning. Elder, overseer, pastor, and there's deacons. Two offices. There, there, there are two offices of leadership. Now, it's not wrong. It is not anti-biblical to have other offices of leadership, to have other aspects of leadership within the church. But the, the, the danger is of two things. One, there are no qualifications for other offices. So you're actually having to try to go beyond what the Bible would say if you're going to have some sort of other positions of leadership. Um, if you want to have a, some sort of minist- if you want to have a ministry leader, if you want to have a committee, uh, uh, some, some of those things, those aren't wrong. There's not anti-biblical. You're not going against scripture, but you have to be careful in the sense of what is the what are the biblical qualifications for a ministry head? I don't know because the Bible doesn't say right. So you have to be careful with that sort of thing. Also, we want to make be careful not to say that other offices, like again, ministry heads, would overshadow what the Bible says are are really the biblical uh, foundation of of as far as leadership in the church. Um, and we saw we've been looking for the last several weeks at this this one office over here, this elder, overseer, pastor. I grouped them together because as we look together, that these are all three different terms for a single office, right? They, they give certain different nuances of that, but they're in the Bible, an elder is an overseer and an overseer is a pastor, that, 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 that it is one single office. And so that, that as, as I said, I saw, there's Dave. So as I said, that, that, that when it comes to the office, there is no difference between me and Dave, Right, just because that, that from 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 just our, our vernacular of calling typically the the vocational elder as pastor, that's not wrong. But as long as we're thinking that there's no difference as far as the office, Dave and I have the same office, the same aspect of leadership in the church um, in, in that way. So so and there's a, the function of this we saw is this is a, this is a teaching office, right? We ask, what do elders, overseers, pastors, what do they do? It's a teaching office. And it's not just teaching of, do they have good rhetoric? Can they command a crowd? Can they make people laugh? Can they make people cry? But teaching, we saw that when Paul talks about teaching in 1 Timothy and in 2 Timothy and in Titus and the pastoral epistles, we walked through those, those, those letters and we saw that the emphasis on teaching was not about Rhetoric was not about skill for commanding an audience. That teaching was always within the context of what? Sound doctrine. 
It dealt with sound doctrine, not how well you hold a crowd, but do, are you able to both instruct with sound doctrine and correct with sound doctrine? Throughout 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, every context when it talks about this, this sort of leadership, this sort of teaching, it's always connected with the subject of doctrine. One of the major emphasis for Titus and for Timothy was the importance of doctrine, of passing on doctrine, of training in doctrine, of being able to instruct in sound doctrine and correct when there's not sound doctrine. You want the people who are able to have, to have the sound doctrine, instruct in sound doctrine, those are your elder leadership. Those people that aren't, those are the people you want to keep far away from your elder leadership, right? And so, so it's ba- and so, and we talked about this helps us understand the aspect of authority. The authority of an elder overseer pastor is not based primarily on the office itself, but the ability to teach and shepherd with the word of God, right? So, and that makes a sense of saying, how then does every member have authority? It's because the elders and, and pastors and overseers they are equipping the saints for the work of the ministry according to Ephesians, right? The elders, uh, pastors, overseers, they teach, whether through Sunday morning worship service, whether through discipleship, whether through just giving counsel, they teach so that the, the, the whole body is equipped to be able to do the, author- the, the, the ministry that they have been authorized to do of caring for the who and the what of the gospel. So that is, that's what we looked at the last few weeks. Any questions before we move on from elders, overseers, pastors? All right. Let's look at our second office. Second office we see in scripture. Deacons. Deacons. Now here's the challenge of this subject. The New Testament, if, if we thought the evidence was a little sparse as far as elders, overseers, when you look at, it, it, first of all, let me back up. There are some who would say that the evidence is sparse, which means that, you know what? These were later developments. It was kind of man-made. This, God didn't really develop these offices of leadership. It's just something that the church did later on through tradition, so you can have whatever offices you want. Well, here's the problem. How many times does God have to say something for it to be true? Once. So, right? So, so if it's in Scripture once, and it is more than once, then, then, then it is from God. But they're, they're right about one thing, and there is a challenge that it's not as fully flushed out as maybe we would like. And... and, and, and this is somewhat flushed out. This is very, it, it, when you look at the concept of the office of the diaconate, of the office of deacons, it is actually very, and, and, well, let's put it this way. There are two places in scripture where you see the office, the actual designation of the office of deacon. Two, that's it. Now, so, someone might find something else to correct me, but in all my reading and all my study, I, 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 there's two places where it's clearly identified as the office of deacon. First Timothy 3, which is pretty extensive, which we're going to look at, and Philippians 1.1. That's it. That's all you got. Um, and so we're going to see that there's an emphasis on the qualifi- qualifications and the character, but there's very little about function. So we're having to draw from some wider evidence of scripture. Um, and so we're going to back up a little bit to try to get a bigger picture that, that, that bef- to, 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 to lay a foundation before we dive into particularly 1 Timothy 3. Let's talk about this I- idea of deacon or diakonos. The Greek word is diakonos. And, and a common translation of that word is servant. It typically means servant. Now we're not talking about the office of deacon. Because that word, the idea of deacon is used throughout the New Testament, but not as an office. When I said it's only used twice, that means as an office. Now, used generally, you see it throughout script, throughout the New Testament, is this idea of servant or minister or ministry, right? And so let's look at how this word is used throughout the New Testament. Not as an office, but just in general. Um, so turn to 1 Corinthians 12. We're, gonna look at a, we're not going to look at all these examples, um, I'm just, I, I just hand-selected a couple to represent what's there, but I, I, I included them to um, show you, and if you want to look it up later, what, uh, how these are used. So this word diakonos is used for ge- talking about general service or ministry. So if you want to ask, what is the general term for ministry? What is the general term for service in the New Testament? It's, it's diakonos. So uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 5. It says, well, let me back up to verse four. Now there are varieties of gifts and the same, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, diakonot, 
right? Or di- or diaconate, uh, diaconos, but the same Lord. So that, that's the idea of service, right? There's a variety of service. There's a variety of ways of service. Um, look over to Ephesians 4.12. where Paul talks about that there are certain people that are gifted to the church, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry or service or diakonos, right? So we see that this verb, and, and we can see if we look at the rest, it's used as both a noun and a verb. It's used for the idea of service, ministry, helper. It, it, it's, it's used of both for a people like Paul and Timothy, used both of missionaries and also of all Christians, general Christians. So there is a, a sense where every Christian is called to be a deacon, right? In the sense of we're all called to serve. We all have a, a responsibility to serve. We're all called to be equipped for the work of service and ministry, right? Um, so there's this, that's, that's kind of the general use. It's used for, 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 for all, all believers. Um, interesting enough... Um, that, and we won't turn there, is that, that even, that, that is, is more of a kind of a general use, but not for the church, is that, uh, that when it talks about governmental authorities, Paul calls them God's servant, that God uses them for his purposes. Different context though, right? Not, in the, not the same way that a Christian is used for God's service, but God does use them. But, but let's look at, at beyond how, maybe some more specific uses than just general service. Turn to Matthew 25. And we're just gonna, we're kind of jumping around. There's a lot of text. I was, I was trying yesterday when I was working through this and trying to decide where do we want to focus and just, I, I just give a little bit of taste of these. That's why we're doing here. Um, so Matthew 25, verse 44. Um, and so this is uh, Jesus talking about the final judgment. Uh, talk about the sheep and the goats, verse 44. Uh, then they will answer saying, Lord, uh, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister, give service, or be a deacon to you? Right? So we're seeing that there's a context here. That the word doesn't mean something different, but the context we're seeing that is used in this specific aspect of caring for physical needs, caring for physical provision, ministering to needs. Right, um, and we see that this is a actually a common. This service is commonly used in this way. Uh, Luke, Luke, you know, Luke. Let's look at uh, or Acts, Acts as well, Acts eleven. And a lot of Bible flipping this morning. So if you didn't warm up your fingers, I, I'm sorry. I know sometimes we just stick in one text, but this morning we're got to use got to use got to flip around this morning. So Acts, let's look at Acts eleven twenty nine. Um, and this is a very, very common use of the word if you look throughout the New Testament. Um, so, so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. That word relief, service, ministry, diakonos. Well, well that's weird, right? Well, that's a weird way to translate it. Right? But, but that was their service. Their service was through this financial gift to provide for the physical needs, which is interesting that, that um, in Acts, in Romans, and in 1 Corinthians, you have a common use of this idea of diakonos is, is not just providing through service of like helps, but providing through service of, of bringing this financial gift, sometimes of giving the financial gift and sometimes of being the people who care for that financial gift and getting it to where the ministry needs to happen, right? This, I, this almost this idea of, of financial oversight to be able to then get and, and, and uh, to be able to get it to where the needs are needed. So just an interesting way that that, 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 that idea is used. It's a particular type of service. So this caring for physical needs, whether actual, actual physical service or through financial stewardship of caring for physical needs, which really goes into the wider use in the, in the first century of this idea of diakonos. And that's the idea of being a waiter, of waiting on tables. That is, that is one of the predominant uses of this term. So let's look at a couple other texts. Luke 10. Luke 10, chapter 10, verse 40. 
Luke chapter 10, verse 40. So we're going beyond now just general service. That they're, they're the, we're talking about that often it's a general, it's a service that actually meets certain needs. And, and we see the very specific here, this, this, sometimes that means just something as simple or is um, waiting on tables, is serving food. So verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving, diakonos. And she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve diakonos alone? Then uh, tell her then to help me. So this is this is this general. This is I, sorry, this is this waiting on tables, right? And then actually, then look one, one more. Look over at, at John chapter two. John chapter two. We look at the term for um, used at the wedding at Cana. In verse five, um, Jesus' mother said to the. Servants, diakonos, do whatever he tells you. Then verse, down in verse 9, then the master of fe- the feast tasted the water, uh, now become wine, and did not know where it came from. Though the diakonos, who had drawn the water. So, so this common for waiters, servers, people that are hired to, to be able to serve at a function like this, right? So it's not just general ministry, but it's often used for even work, honestly, that in the Roman world was very demeaning work, right? This was, you didn't want to be the servant at the party, you wanted to be high enough status, you're invited to the party, right? I mean, actually, that's not just a first century idea, is it? <laughs> right? No, you don't, you don't want to be the one that, that, that's hired to, to go work at the restaurant. You want a better job. You want to work your way up the ladder so you have the, 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 the higher status, the higher job, the higher financial bracket. Whether it's the first century, whether it's today, that, that's the idea, Right? But that's not how the New Testament considered this, this aspect of service. Right now, let's, let's start thinking. Here's the, that's the general use. But now let's think of some teaching about this idea of diakonos, this idea of service and servant uh, used by Jesus. Uh, turn to Matt, back to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. And we're going to look at verses... 26 through 28. Where Jesus is telling his disciples that who want to be great, he says, it shall not be so among you of looking for worldly greatness or how the world thinks of greatness, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for, ministry, for, for, for many. Well, think about how think about what we're saying here of this this term, right? It shall not be a great so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your deacon, right? And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man did not come to be served by your deacon, but to be a deacon, to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for ministry. So Jesus says that he is the model of service. Instead of thinking of service as something that's demeaning, of thinking of service as less than, of thinking of certain jobs in the kingdom as less than us, Jesus says that's what he came to do. He came to do the the lowest job of giving his life as a ransom for ministry. That he set the example of that. Uh, Turn over a couple chapters to Matthew 23, verse 11. Where Jesus says, the, 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 the greatest among you shall be your servant, servant your deacon. All right? The greatest shall be your deacon, your servant. Uh, look over at John, John uh, chapter 12. John twelve twenty six. So if anyone serves me, if anyone would be a deacon for me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my deacon, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, is a deacon for me, the Father will honor him. So this, this is the way that the, the New Testament thinks about service, right? They're, they're, it's, it's not, it's, and that's so hard for us, right? It goes against everything that we are trained to think culturally, Right? 
We are trained to think culturally of upward movement. That's what Jesus says. That's how the Gentiles think. That's how the, the world thinks. And, and if we're honest, that's how we think, right? Who is the people that up at the top? How do I work my way up to get there? And Jesus says, that's, that's not the way that the kingdom works, is the greatest are those who, who serve. Serve in different roles, but, but the, the greatness is not based on the, the role. The greatness is not based on the position. The greatness is based on the one that you are serving. Your greatness comes not from what you do or from what your gifts are or from what you've attained, but who you are serving, no matter what role that's in. It's not how many friends I have on Facebook. Uh, amazing, right? Or how many... There, there, there's, there's a dangerous thing amongst, um, you know, in my, in, in, in kind of my world of, of thinking through pastoral and pastoral ministry and, and even in seminaries of building a platform and, and when are you going to get a podcast and when are you going to get a blog and when are you going to influence this many people and that many people? And I think it's so antithetical, right? It's not about, it's not about how do you build your platform. It's about, it's, it's about we're here to, to, to serve the Lord, right? And, that, 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 and there's this, that, but it's tough, right? There's a worldly sense of, of leadership. There's a worldly sense of, 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 um, movement that you just, that, that it's difficult to, to fight against. So yeah. Dulos would be slave, right? Bond servant. So it's a different word that's used. Uh, so, but Jesus contrasts those, right? He, he contrasts them in that, ma- uh, that first passage, Matthew um, 20, right? He contrasts, uh, at one point he uses doulos, at one point he uses diakonos. He uses them interchangeably, that there's an overlap of those, right? And so, yeah. Um, and so we, we even see, and we're not, and I want to keep moving, so we're not going to go too much time here, that, that this is, so this title of deacon, this title of diakonos is used for the apostles, it's used for missionaries, it's used for New Testament ministers, it's even used for Old Testament prophets. They were all used to serve God's people. And, and I'm, I'm just not going to take the time because we're just of jumping around. Um, and, and it's interesting that that title is also used for the ministry of angels. That they're ministering, or diakonos, they're ministering spirits. They came to minister to Christ after the temptation. So, so this idea, our idea of service is just so different the, 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 um, of, of the, that, that aspect. So, what is, so, so let's back up again. Here's where we're going. What's, what is the office of deacon? We have to back up first and say, what is, it, what is this idea of deaconing? What is this idea of being a deacon? Well, it's the idea, general term, for being a servant, Right? And the way that the New Testament would think about being a servant is so different than the Roman world and is so different than our world today that, that, that in the Roman world, our world today, no one wants to stay a servant. Everyone wants to move up where they're going to be served. And, and, and for Jesus is saying that the identity of us as Christians is that we would all seek to be servants because we follow the example of our Savior who showed us the example of servant. Yes. The original servant. Yes. Who desired to be the highest. Yeah. Is the one that leads us to serve ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. You see, you see aspects of that, 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 that pride, right? With, with, with some of the, the metaphorical images we see of Lucifer, right? Of desiring, you know, um, more than that, that, that the idea of saying, I, I am a servant of, of Yahweh, or I'm a servant of Christ, is not enough. Um, that, that, that you see that, that that's a, there is a satanic impulse there. Yeah, yeah. And it's also an animalistic, because you can never be on top. That's, yes, yeah, well. You're always a servant to someone. Even the people that have the most that's right. are servant to those that, yeah. that are yeah. keeping them. The yeah, and not even that. You, you, you become bound to other people, or really what you, and, and I think there's a lot of good work recently within the biblical counseling movement of you, you, you start to serve the thing, what is the thing that you must have? If, it, if, it's, if, it, if it's a certain job or if it's a certain um, uh, income bracket or if it's a certain uh, respectability, that actually becomes your God and you're actually serving that God. You're no longer serving Christ. You're serving your job. You're serving and you're in service of, you know, your, that, that, of, of your financial status. You're, that you become a servant. You become a worshiper of that. And so, yeah, you become actually enslaved to that, which is interesting. We're, we're Romans. We're going to get there eventually because we're starting Romans next week in the main service. But in Romans, um, I think it's 6, 
five, six, seven, or six, five, yeah, five, six, seven. He personifies that there's um, Mr. Sin and Mr. Righteousness. Which one are you a slave of? He, he actually, he, he gives the term, he, he talks about righteousness and he talks about sin like they're people. And you're going to be, which one are you following? You're a slave of one of them. You're going to be, you're going to be, you know, underneath one or the other. And that's, and that's, that's it, right? Is it that, that we're always, there's no such thing is, um, is, is, is in that aspect of independence. We're always serving. We're always in, in, in a way a doulos to, to one or the other. So, yeah. Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. You're going to serve God or you're going to serve Satan, but you are going to yeah. be a servant. Yeah, even through general general revelation that that's, that's picked up, right? Yeah. Sherry, you just yeah. I was just thinking that, you know, even at the end of Screw Shaped Letters, mm. you have Wormwood and uh-huh. um, what's his name? Screw, but you have the two guys, and it's like, what do you mean I wanted you? I never wanted you. I wanted to follow you. Yeah. So it's like, Yep. The two paths are very distinct when you explain it like this, but yeah. we don't see that, you know? Oh, yeah, it's we so deceptive. See it when we're here, that, oh, you're building, you're getting, you're getting, and you're building, and you're building, but really, even in nations, you become paranoid now of the yeah. people below you. Yeah. And the whole paranoia, and the, just everything, and yeah. it's just like, they're told two different distinct statements yeah. with the community and the lack of community. Yeah, it's so deceptive. It's, it, but it's so deceptive. Yeah. Really yeah. Bizarre. Now, as we think about this, Right, that, that every Christian is called to be a servant. We're all called to, to be a deacon of some sort because the, the role is that we follow Christ in that, that our greatness comes not from our gifting, not from our role, but from the one that we serve, that our identity is a servant of Christ. Now, if we broaden, I guess not broaden, if you go more specific, you say then, if every Christian's a deacon, why do we need an office of deacons? Right? That's the question. The question is, if every Christian's a deacon, every Christian's called to serve, why do we need a specific office of leadership that we see in, in 1 Timothy 3 of a office, of a, a, a group of leaders that are deacons? Organization. Hmm. I, mean, I mean, you know, we can all be, you know, all the Indians, you need a chief to sort of keep them in line, right? I think you're right. It comes back to, okay, well, in order for us to turn back to Ephesians 4, in order for, um, let me see, uh, yeah, in order for all of us to be built up in our service, what do we need to be built up in our service, right? We are served, we're all called to service, we're all called to be, have, have sort of deacon, deacon service, but we need to be built up in that, right? We need to be helped in that, we need to be organized in that, we need to be equipped in that. Who, who equips? Well, first Ephesians, first Ephesians. I'm not working off a of second Ephesians, don't worry. Um, <laughs> Ephesians chapter four says, God gifts the body with different Gifted people, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of deaconing, of ministry, for building up the body. So, so, the, so God has gifted certain people in the body to be able then to lead in a way, organize in a way, as Tony was saying, I would even say, example in such a way to be able to help then all of us fulfill our function to serve as we're called to serve. I think Tony's going, I'm, I'm putting a couple scriptures together theologically here because the Bible doesn't give us a reason. The Bible does not say, well, all Christians are deacon, yet there's an office of deacon. How does that work? We're, we're going to have to put some scriptures together. But I think that, that Ephesians 4 makes that pretty clear. Of all Christians are supposed to be deacons, like servants, but in order to serve and have a ministry like we're supposed to serve, there are certain gifted people who are supposed to equip us to do that. Some of that, yes, is pastors. But uh, to say that, that this other office of leadership would fit in there, I think it fits with the text, right? So, so how, do you, how do you understand 1 Timothy 3? I think Ephesians 4 helps us that way, that there are certain people that are gifted to be able through, through leadership and administration and through their own example of service to not do all the service themselves. The office of deacon is not, they got it. We got the office of deacons. We got like six of them and they're going to do it, right? Because so we don't have to worry about those things. No, the office of deacon is to equip the saints for the ministry that we're all called to do. Yeah. And, and aren't we, yes, and aren't we uh, serving, being a deacon through 
True. Yes. We're serving in teaching. We're serving True. in yes. uh, shepherding. We're serving in our, in our uh, hospitality. We're yes. Serving, serving, serving each other. Yes. Same way. I think there's broad, yeah. So, so in order for all of us, you also need the, those who are gifted with teaching, right? You also need that. But I would say, and I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to say, how do we put the logic together of every Christian's a deacon, deacon-like service, and yet there's certain an office, and how do we put those together? And that's, that's the way I would, I, I think, the best understanding of, of, of how to put that together. So. And, like, uh, and like they did with the, um, the apostles left the serving of tables yes. and handed it over to these guys who were full of the Spirit to help yes. serve. Yes. Uh, and as Moses uh, let go of yes. sitting in the judgment yes. all day long yeah. to other people, yeah. And we're gonna, and that's where we're gonna look. It, it, probably next week is Acts six. Is it two things on Acts six? One is, it's difficult to say this is a prototype for deacons. Linguistically, you can't. But when you start to understand the structure, when you start looking at First Timothy and, and Ephesians, saying, well, that fits exactly what 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 Paul's talking about here. And, and beyond that, Gary Milner has made the point, and he's absolutely right. And I, I actually have seen it in very few commentaries that seven guy or twelve guys would not be able to serve all the widows in the church of the thousands of people that are in the church. Well, what would their ministry have to be? It would have to have been equipping the saints of working and, and, and structuring and equipping the rest of the saints to be able to do that ministry. There, there, it was a leadership capacity. And, and so, um, so I think you're right. It fits right in there. It's almost like the, were, those leaders, were those leaders there, were they administrators? Were they got to kind of work? Yeah, I, 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 I think there's multiple gifts that can fit. Administration's one. I think just by giving an example of service. There's some people, just by the way they serve, and say, come along with me while I'm serving, that, that you learn to serve better, right? And that there's all kinds of different gifts that you see that's there. Yeah. I also feel like we kind of live in enemy-occupied territory. Hmm. We live in a world of sin. Mm-hmm. And so we have to make preparations. Yeah. We, we can't just assume God's going to take care of it all. Mm-hmm. We are all servants, but at the same time, we live in a world that is against us. Yeah. And like, like Nehemiah, who prayed to God, but he also... Set yep. out a guard. Yep. Yeah. He didn't just pray to God and say, "Okay, it's yeah. all okay." He set out a guard. Yeah. He took steps. Yeah. And I feel like this is yeah. And, so, steps. and there, there's a step of, of saying that we're not just going to all be servants, just like, oh, I'm just yeah. going to go to church and eventually I'll just be a good, a good servant. No, we have to be equipped for that, and we have to be yeah. prepared for that. Yeah. Now, now let's look. Let's look at the well, real quickly. Let's look at the one of the minor places we see this office of deacon. Uh, Philippians one one. <clears throat> We're not going to spend very much time here, but we should look at it because, again, the office of deacon only shows up twice in the New Testament. We should definitely look at both of them. Um, <clears throat> Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, we say, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to the saints of, in Jesus Christ who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Not much there, but there's, let me give you two important points of what we get from that text. First of all, it shows that deacons was not just a one church thing. It was not just something at Ephesus that Timothy was instituting. This was throughout the churches in the, in the apostolic period. Second of all, as I said before, there are some people that said, oh, Paul or someone developed these ideas of leadership offices later. Philippians is, we, everyone agrees that Philippians is much earlier than, than 1 Timothy. And so we would say that, that we'd say that this is an early early structure that's, that's developed and instituted by Paul. And so, um, so those are a couple arguments that we see there. But most of the thing is from 1 Timothy 3. So let's turn to 1 Timothy 3. And here's what I want to do. I, I wanted to jump in and look at these qualifications and look at some aspects of, of deacons. Um, but you can't understand 1 Timothy uh, 3, 8 through 13 unless you first deal with one issue. And that is, what do you do with verse 11? Normally, I don't like to start with the controversial issues. But because you go from deacons, this questionable, what does 11 mean, back to deacons, how you interpret the structure of those verses hinges on how you understand verse 11. So what I want to do this week with our time remaining is I want to just look at verse 11. I want to look at verse 11. I want to set the groundwork so that next week we can jump in and look at 1 Timothy 3 as a whole, and then we can look at Acts 6 and some other examples, and we look at what do deacons look like, what do deacons do, but we first have to deal with this issue because you can't understand 1 Timothy until, uh, 3, 8 through 13 until you have a 
really a position. To, you're going to go one way or the other based on your interpretation of verse 11. So let's look at verse 11. Verse 11. It, well, how do you look at verse 11? Depends on the translation you have, right? It really depends on the translation. Some of your translations will say their wives. Some of your translations will just say wives. Some of your translations will say the women. It depends on translation. But everyone agrees after that. Likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And so there are two different interpretations, as we see, of 3.11. This word, gunaikos, gunaikos, in the Greek, can be either wives or women. So the interpretation is either these are qualifications for deacons' wives or the qualification for women deacons. It makes a big difference, right? That's why I'm saying you can't jump into this passage until you decide which one because it's going to make a difference of how you split this passage up. Is it a sandwich of, you know, um, you know, is, is it one single passage of, talking about, um, you know, and, and wives is just one characteristic quality of what qualifies you for being a deacon? Or is it talking about this, this one passage talking about both male and female, deacons of both male and female varieties? It, it, it makes a huge difference how you understand it. Now, gunaikos in the New Testament is used both for wife, 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 that doesn't, wife, there we go, both for wife it's not used for wife anywhere. I don't know what wife is. Um, it's both used for wife and for woman. Um, in fact, can, I, can we look real quick? Uh, keep your finger there or your paper there or whatever in 1 Timothy. Turn back to Matthew 1. Matthew 1, verse 20. Where Matthew tells us, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do, you, uh, do not fear to take Mary as your gunaikos. Any question of what that means there? Why not? Context. Context. The context determines what that word means there, right? Clearly, it's talking about wife. Now, turn over to Matthew 5:26. Wait, not 26. Uh, Matthew 5 Sorry, 28. I should have written 28. Let me back up to 27. You have heard it you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a at a gunaikos with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his, in her in his heart. Is there are two options for this verse? No. Are you committing adultery by looking at your wife lustfully? I hope not. <laughs> right? The, the, clearly, the context is woman, another woman, right? <laughs> context shows what the lexical form of the verb should, or noun should be. But the problem is, in 1 Timothy, the context could be either, right? It could really be either context. So let me give you the arguments why we at Oakhurst EV Free Church would translate this as Deacons who are women, woman deacons. And, and, and I'm going to give you some of the reasons. First, let me give you, turn back to 1 Timothy 3. Let me give you the evidence from the text. Let me give you the evidence from the text. It's true that the context really can be either, mostly. There is one key indicator. Um, and I would say for me, this is one of the biggest arguments. If you look in verse 11, how many of your translations have your there? If you have an ESV, New King James, King James, or New Living, Anyone use one of those versions? You have your? Or there. Sorry, there. Yes, thank you, there. Uh, Yeah, if you have there, there's no pronoun. There's no pronoun in the Greek. The problem is, it doesn't make sense without a pronoun. Does that make sense? Why does the King James want to insert a pronoun that's not there in the text? Why does the ESV want to insert a pronoun that's not there in the text? Because if it's going to be wives... Contextually, you'd want to put there to help you understand whose wives, right? But there is no pronoun in the text. In fact, here's what gets even bigger. All, at least, well, I want to say almost because I, I have not looked at every reference. Almost every reference of where the word is translated wives in the New Testament always has a pronoun connected. 
words have friends. It's always his wife, your wife, one's wife, their wife, pronouns. If there is a pronoun connected, it is almost always wife. So when used with a pronoun, that word would have the context of wife. When used without the pronoun, it is almost always woman. The pronoun guides the definition. You guys see that? That, that words have friends, and depending on the words that are around that, it helps. And this, uh, I, I've used this before. The word cell has many, many options, right? But if I put the word prison next to it, you have one option. Prison cell. If I use, put the word phone next to it, right? Cell phone, right? If I put um, uh, biology, cell biology, the, the words around it affect what that word what that word would be, and it's the same thing with a possess- possessive pronoun. If you have a pronoun connected to gunaikos, it is, it is wife. If, without a pronoun, it is, it is mostly um, woman. And so you should say, so, so that why, the, the, standing alone, it should, the better translation that I would say is women likewise. Women likewise. Uh, second of all, um, even if you go past the pronoun, everyone agrees that the second word there is likewise. Well, likewise would, would mean the most natural reading is it's continuing that list. Talking about men that are deacons, likewise, women who are deacons in the same way. Why, if it's switching subjects to qualifications, why would you have that word likewise? Uh, the third argument is an argument from silence. So it's a little bit less emphatic, a little bit less, but it's, I think it's important nonetheless. Why would you have a qualification for deacons' wives and not for elders' wives? Right? If, if, the, if, if, if the wife is, is a qualification, why do you not see that with elders? The elders have at least just as much importance in the church. You want to, you know, and so why would you not see that sort of qualification? Um, now, to, to give due service, um, there, there's some, there are some uh, people who would argue the alternate position that would say, because some deacons' work is going to be required for men and women to do it together, and so some deacons are going to have to incorporate their wives. I think that's an argument, but I think that combined with the other arguments, it just doesn't hold as much, as much weight. Um, so those are the arguments there from 1 Timothy 3, why it would be women and not wives. Uh, let me give you two other arguments. Um, yes? I just have a question, like, linguistically, like, um, like, we're thinking about the English words, mm-hmm. women, wives, but sometimes you could say, this is my woman. It's true. So if we're translating the word into wives, but if they, it's just the same word back in the day, True. did they say, hmm, we might ask, like, oh, is that a wife or a woman? Yeah. But, you know, maybe it was just my woman. Yeah, and it's true. And, and so there, there's a reason that the word has some overlap there, but you also look in the sense of clearly, there's some clearly different context. So, like, Matthew 5, clearly he's not talking about wife there, no, right? The, the, I'm yeah. Saying. True. And so what, it's interesting how you use even somebody's woman, right? Well, if you're talking about somebody's woman, you're talking about some sort of relationship there of, of yeah. typically and even biblically of marriage. So automatically you're, but you're moving from... What you're saying makes sense. Yeah. Kind of, I'm yeah. From that. yeah. So, so even, even, it's, hard, it's even hard when we talk about that. Of, you want, we want to put a, pr- a pronoun, even in English, together with that, right? And, and Greek is using it similarly. Yeah. Um, look over at Romans also. There's another argument from Romans that's made. Um, and this one I would say is not as... What's the word I'm looking for? It is not as uh, strong of an argument, but I think it's, it, is, it, is, it is one that's brought up, and so I'll, I'll bring it up. I, personally, the pronoun, the idea of pronoun, the use of likewise, those... those uh, just textually, just just are, are what I lean on. But I'm going to give the other arguments that are given for this. Um, Romans 16 verse one. Romans yeah, 16 one yeah. Yeah, uh, 16 one. So I commend you, Paul says, our sister Phoebe, a a servant. So so what do you 
what do you do with this idea of servant of the church at, at Sorinthe? Uh, 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 sorry, uh, Sincre. I, I'm not going to pronounce that anymore. Um, okay. It can, be, it can be either deacon or it can be servant. It might be servant. The argument is made by some saying that, again, when you look at this, this talking about the servant of minister of the church, that context would give, seem to have an official capacity. When, it, when servant is used of general ministry, it's not servant of this church, right? That there's a, there's a certain, the, the, if it was just, uh, I commend to you, our sister Phoebe, a servant, or even a servant of the, serv- of the church, a servant of Jesus Christ, probably just general service. But when it's used in the context, now this is the only time it, we have it in that kind of context, so it's very difficult. But when you use Maybe, except maybe Philippians 1, but I don't know. Um, when it's used in the context, servant of this church, there are some that would argue that there seems to be an official capacity. I, I'm not going to say that's, that's the clinching argument, but I think it lends evidence of, of what do you do with that verse of, of, of Phoebe um, in, in this aspect there. Let me get, then the third argument, uh, I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to give credit where credit's due. I gave you the, the, the reference earlier on of some of these arguments. I think if you want further fleshed out, Tom Schreiner, um, excellent New Testament scholar. He wrote an article for Gospel Coalition, um, which I pretty much just took his points and I'm teaching them to you. Um, so I'm going to give him credit. But he, he writes this from, about church history. He says this, my argument from church history, and I wrote this on your paper there so you can follow along, is not determinative. So it's not determinative since it's not from scripture. So this is not the clinching argument, but it's just more evidence. Nevertheless, we see an early example of women serving as deacons in the correspondence between Pliny the Younger and the Emperor Trajan. In a fascinating conversation, Pliny asked Trajan for advice about what he would do as the legate in the province of Bithynia with Christians. We want to think about one small piece of the conversation. Pliny refers to two Christian women who were both called ministere in Latin. In English, we can translate this word as ministers. And that is a good translation into Latin of the Greek word diakonos, which means servant or minister. We thus have an early example in the second decade of the second century of women serving as deacons. Obviously, such an example does not prove women should serve as deacons, but it suggests that women functioned as deacons in the early church. So, so there's some different evidences for me personally. The textual evidence of the personal pronoun and the use of likewise it's the best evidence, but, but there's others that, that people would draw on as well. Now, here's the question. The, one of the big arguments against that translation is it violates the context of 1 Timothy 2.12. So turn back there real quick. Ooh, we got to go quick. Okay. We're just having too much fun. We're having too much fun. 1 Timothy 2.12. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. So some would say, but if you have women deacons, it contradicts 1 Timothy 2.12. Schreiner puts it better than I could, but he would say, if the office of deacon, which we're going to look at next week, is not a teaching office and an authority that comes with that, that teaching office, if they are examples and administrators to lead in service, that does not conflict with 1 Timothy 2.12, right? There's a difference between deacons and elders, and deacons would not conflict with 1 Timothy 2.12. So are they leaders in the church? Yes, but they're leaders in service, not through teaching and authority. So it doesn't conflict with 1 Timothy 2.12. All right, let me give some implications, uh, and then I know we got to go. All right, first... We're going to look at how this interpretation reflects the rest of that chapter. We're going to look at that next week. Look through deacons. What do they look like? Deacons, deaconesses. It's, but actually, here's the thing. Here's the implication. Is, let's think some implications. First of all, whether you're an office holder of deacon or not, all Christians should think of ourselves as deacons. That we are all called to be servants. Being a servant is not a... We have to fight against our cultural expectations or cultural programming. That serving is not a lesser role, but a greater role because of the one we serve. We're servants of, of Christ. So whether you are an apostle, whether you're a prophet, whether you're an angel, I hope none of you think you are, that it's a high calling to be a servant of the Lord. Right? That, that we're, we're, we're in the service of King Jesus. 
And God has given certain people to lead in service, whether because of administration, whether because of example, other aspects of leadership. They're, they're going to lead in service. It's not just enough to say, we have a bunch of Christian servants and we'll figure it out. That we do need this office to equip the saints to do the service we're all called to do. And that is a high calling. We're going to see next week that the moral qualifications for deacon are no less an elder. We should expect the same sort of moral qualifications. We shouldn't say, we expect moral qualifications for elders, but we'll smudge on deacons. No, 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 no. They are both the highest calling as far as moral qualifications. Only difference is function of teaching. And so, um, and so we need to be thankful for those who would lead us. We need those to lead us in this area of, 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 of service. And then this is, and, 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 the, and I think the most faithful interpretation is that there is one office of deacons filled by both men and women. It's not two offices. It's not wrong that we'd, we'd split them for ministry purposes. I don't think it's a wrong thing to say we have deacons and deaconesses, but let's not think of it as two offices. It's not two offices. It's one office. It's, an, it's a diaconate, one office of deacons, where there's both male deacons and female deacons. It's not wrong for pragmatics to say there's certain things that women might do better and certain things that men might. That's not wrong to have them meet together and differently. But I would say we don't want to think differently. And the same way you don't, want to, you don't want to break up elder, overseer, pastor. It distorts the text. You don't want to think of it as two offices. We've got three offices in the church, elder, deacon, deaconess. No, we have two offices in the church, our elders and our deacons. And there are both male and female variety of deacons. Um, and it's an important in, in, in the sense that there is a giftedness of women to the church. And that's important for us. And we need them. And we need them because we need to be equipped by them for the work of the ministry. And, 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 that's, and that fits with 1 Timothy 2 because it's not a teaching office, not an authoritative office, but leading through service of equipped by, equipping the saints in the church for the work of ministry. We'll, we'll get more into that next week, but that's the picture there. And so I'm sorry I kept you late. I, I just, I need to, I don't think I can talk faster, but... Uh, <laughs> We'll we'll hopefully have some time for questions next week. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for knowing that we need to have our minds recalibrated, uh, that we need to renew our minds, God, because of the way that we tend to sometimes think like this world. And we thank you that you've gifted us with people, Lord, to help us, to equip us, to think in that way, and also to, to live in that way as we would serve one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.